Now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is a guy who is annually one of Golf Magazine's top 100 instructors and a guy who's become one of my favorite all-time guests here on Next on the Tee, and that's Mr. Tom Patry. Let me remind you about Tom's background. He grew up on Middle Island, Long Island, New York. In 1973, he won the Long Island Boys Championship and the Long Island Private Schools Championship. In all, he won 15 events during his junior golf career. Played his college golf at Florida Southern, where he was a two-time first-team All-American. In 1981, he led Florida Southern to the Division II National Championship, and he won the individual honors. In 1992, he was inducted into the Sunshine State Conference Hall of Fame. He turned pro and played professionally from 1981 to 1988 in the U.S., Mexico, Canada, Europe, and over in South Africa as well. He later became the, the director of golf instruction at Westchester Country Club, site of the Westchester Classic and several other PGA and LPGA Tour events. He's been named the Teacher of the Year everywhere he's been. Golf Magazine has named him a Top 100 Teacher every year since 2000. Beyond all of that, Tom is an excellent writer. His work can, works can be found in numerous publications like Golf Magazine, Golf Digest, and Golf Illustrated. Plus, he's written a wonderful book titled the six-spoke approach to golf, and it's five-star rated, folks, out on Amazon.com. You've likely seen him on the Golf Channel's Academy Live as well, and I'm extremely honored to have him back with me this morning on Next on the Tee. Hey, Tom, thanks for coming back on the show. Chris, you've got to promise me the next time I come on, you won't read all that again about me. You've got to promise me that. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? You've earned it, my friend. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thanks. It's great to be with you. So, Tom, I wanted to start our time with you today by getting your thoughts on the U.S. Open. What did you think about what we saw this past weekend at Aaron Hills? You know, it's funny, Chris. I've been asked about ten times today by my students uh, on the lesson team, and, and the answer I've given is the same answer I'll give to you. I was a little confused by the Open. Uh, we, we clearly weren't used to looking at um, a golf course like Aaron Hills um, as an Open venue, uh, and then – you know, we have 60-yard wide fairways and a long kind of overpowering type of a golf course, and we have DJ missed the cut, and we have Jason Day missed the cut, and we have a, a leaderboard, and I'm not taking anything away from Brooks. He played beautiful golf, just absolutely beautiful, but you know, now we're supposed to have big hitters on the golf course like he is, and we have and we have Brian Harmon chasing him. So there's a lot of confusing aspects of this open for me. Um, I'm still trying to figure out exactly what I watched happen. Uh, it, it looked gorgeous on TV. Uh, I can't tell you I didn't like the way it looked. I liked that style of golf a lot. And Brooks played absolutely beautifully that last round, as he did the whole week, really. Um, so it was it was it was a it was a strange kind of U.S. Open for me, actually. So uh, to your point, Tom, we, we saw so many of the top ten players of the world in the world right now, right? Either they either missed the cut or were never really a factor in the tournament outside of Ricky Fowler and, and Justin Thomas. To your point, the course had, had wide fairways. The greens looked soft because they got some rain while you know while the tournament was going on. You know, why do you think so many of the top players, you know, struggled and missed the cut, and so many you know sort of. Um, middle tier players, guys, you know, not not you know outside the top ten, you know, being at the top of this leaderboard, you know, on Saturday and Sunday. What was the difference? I mean, I think if you pick it apart, because there really shouldn't be any reason why any of those guys, Chris, shouldn't have played well there. I mean, they had, like I said, they had soft conditions, they had wide fairways. You know, if if you if you want to micromanage and analyze it, I, you know, DJ just had a child. Maybe his full attention wasn't there. Jason Day hasn't been right, in my opinion, all year long with his with his mom situation. I think golf is a sport that you know, especially at that high level, that 
boy, you have to really have your head right going into an event like that. And, you know, everything's got to be hitting on all cylinders and you've got to be totally clear and focused on what you're doing. And I think those guys, those two guys in particular, were a little bit distracted. Um, Jordan Spieth hasn't looked good to me in the last 18 months. He hasn't looked good to me. Just uh, the body language is not very good. You know, he just, I think he is micromanaging everything. Everything happens every week in his game. Um, uh, you know, so I, I, I'm not, I'm not on the Jordan Spieth bandwagon right now. I just, uh, kid's got so much talent. So you know, we know he's got talent. He plays beautifully at times, but he, he really lets, I think he's got a little bit of case of rabbit ears too, Chris. He listens to a lot of things that are said about him and, and, and takes things to heart. You know, he got a pretty thick skin out there. So, um, I don't think any of those guys were right for last week at all. And, uh, and obviously Brooks was right. So, uh, it, it, like I said, it was a, it was a, it was a strange kind of a week. I want to get back to what you said about Jordan Spieth here in just a second, Tom. But is is the U.S. Open was the tournament diminished at all because of who was on the leaderboard and who wasn't? No, I don't think so. I think we've had a lot of first-time winners, obviously, recently. Um, you know, it's we we always expect that you know Tiger Woods or Dustin Johnson now or or the best player in the world is going to win every single major. You know, we got so used to you know to Tiger dominating and before Tiger to Jack dominating that we expected the best player to be there at the end of the week or very close. And um, I think there's a lot of parity in golf right now. I, I think uh, it's a lot of good parity, Chris, but there is a lot of parity. I mean, we've got so many, so many young, talented guys out there. Um, it's so deep, and I mean, I mean, there's 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 30 guys in the Web.com tour that if they teed up at Aaron Hills last week could have won the U.S. Open. Um, and they and they may or may not ever get that chance, but um, no, I don't think it diminishes it. I think I think the educated golf fan, and there's not that many of them, but the educated golf fan says, "Man, Brooks Koepka is a hell of a player, you know, and and Brian Harm is a hell of a player, and and Tommy Fleetwood, what well, we haven't seen much of him because he's a European, but he's clearly a hell of a player." So, I think the educated fan understands that uh, on any given week, any one of these guys can come from nowhere and win a golf tournament. And you, you talked a moment ago, Tom, about how brood, uh, beautifully Brooks Kepka played. And he's 27 years old. That was his second victory out on tour. He has 22 top 10 finishes since 2014, including five so far this year. What's your assessment of, you know, of Brooks's game? Is he an emerging star, you know, starting to put it all together now? Or, or is this right. an anomaly with this, uh, with this U.S. Open? No, I don't think it's an anomaly at all. I think that, again, if you, if you look at Brooks's career very closely, Chris, you know, he he won five times over in Europe, you know, on the way up. And uh, the route to the PGA Tour is so difficult now. They've changed the qualifying system, and you have to go through the web.com tour to get to the PGA Tour. Um, a lot of these guys were hidden for a while. Uh, and Brooks, you know, took, took the European route and, and the world ranking route and, and really did it the hard way, if you will, because he had to. Um, I think the, the guys on tour know who Brooks Kepke is and know how good he is and how good he's been for a while. Um, I think he, I, I, you can correct me, Chris, if I'm wrong. I think he's got eight, seven or eight worldwide wins. Um, right. So he, he's no anomaly at all. No, not at all. And you'll see, I think you'll see him win more now. And like I said a moment ago, Tom, you touched on Jordan Spieth. And, you know, Jordan's my favorite player out on tour right now. He's got one win so far this year. He's currently sixth in the FedEx Cup standings. He had a, you know, 
He had a chance to make a run back at the Masters in the final round. Unfortunately, he shot 75 and, and, and wasn't a factor. He was never really a factor this week at the U.S. Open. Is, you, know, you mentioned he's listening to too many things. Is there a reason to have concern over his play, or do we need to keep in mind that, you know, hey, he's only 23 years old and the kid's finished in the top 25, you know, 10 of his 15 starts so far this season. Is there, is there you know, reason to have concern long-term about what you're seeing from him? I don't, I don't think so, Chris. I think, you know, if you look at that really closely, like you said, he's sixth in the FedEx points right now. He won, he won earlier in the year. Um, so it's not like he's having a bad year. We just, I think after the year he had where he won the Open and the Masters, we expect so much of him. And I don't think that's realistic, again, because of the parity out there. And I also think he's put a lot of pressure on himself to expect too much day in and day out of himself. Um, I think at 23, as good as Jordan Spieth is and as well as he's done already, I think he has to take a step back and a, and a deep breath and, and take some pressure off of himself and realize that, you know what, to win on tour, you have you know, on any given week, you have to hit on all cylinders. And, and nobody does that more than two or three weeks. Listen, if you win two events or three events a year, you're an absolute god out there. There's, like I said, there's no, so much parity. So I think he's self-inflicted a lot of pressure and a, and a lot of micromanage on his game. And, and, he, and he's paying the price right now uh, in his lack of consistency. It's a little bit of a feast of famine thing with him. Um, I think as he matures, Chris, I think, I think you'll see him return to a better form even than he's in. Uh, I think he's got a lot of great golf ahead of him. I think he's got a little bit of growing up to him to realize that, you know, he had that one sparkling year, which is unbelievable. And that just doesn't happen every year on tour. There's just, there's just too much depth out there. And Tom, as we look ahead now to the Open Championship at Royal Birkdale, you know, the last seven major winners have all been first-time winners. You have to go back to the 2015 Open Championship when Zach Johnson won at the Old Course to, to get a winner who hadn't previously won a major. And just to review the list quickly, you know, the last seven majors, right? Jason Day, Danny Willett. Dustin Johnson, Henrik Stenson, Jimmy Walker, Sergio Garcia, and now Brooks Ketka. So this is going to be the you know the tenth time that the Open has come to Royal Birkdale to host the Open. What do you expect to see when that event kicks off here in a couple of weeks in mid-July? Well, I, I guess odds-on favorite in, in Vegas would say a first-time winner again, right, Chris? But I mean, um, Birkdale is a you know a, a rugged golf course. It's it's uh, it's not it's not easy golf at all. It depends on conditions, obviously, but. You know, and, and just like we've seen in so many open championships um, on that side of the pond, there's a lot of quirky bouncers and a lot of, a lot of funny things. Tee times are a big deal as far as wind conditions. You know, you could get two bad times or two great times or one of each. You know, you just don't know what you're going to get. So there's so many factors. So I think maybe the hardest tournament of the four mages to pick a champion or pick a, pick a favorite um, because, again, because of, you know, tee times and, 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 and weather conditions. So, I, you know, I, I have to be honest. If, I, if I'm your expert right now, I have no idea how to pick how to pick the British. Um, I think obviously, you know, if you if you look at factors, you're looking at guys going in there playing well. You're looking at guys that are traditionally good wind players, guys that are good mutters, guys who have really really strong belief systems because it can get pretty rugged in this, in a situation if you if you, if you pull, pull some bad weather. Um, it's one of my favorite – it might be, besides the Masters, my favorite tournament to watch, even more so, and I shouldn't say this, in our own National Open, only because of all those factors. There's so many things that, you know, can happen um, at an Open Championship. I, 
I went over as a young man and tried to qualify for two of them and got pretty close to Turnberry um, and played, you know, I've played a fair amount of Lynx golf in, in, in England and Scotland, and it's really fun. But it, there, there are a lot of factors and a lot of funny things that can happen along the way in 18 holes over there. Tom, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about, you know, your experience as, you know, one of the top teachers in the game. And, and you know, I was curious to get from you. Has coaching changed at all from, you know, advanced junior golfers all the way up to today's tour players versus what it was like, you know, in the 80s, 90s, and the early parts of the 2000s? Well, I, I, it, certainly, it certainly changed for me, Chris, in the sense that, you know, when a I have so many youngsters that come to me, and I'm talking about kids that are teenagers, 16, 17, 18 years old, that come to me, and they're, they're so talented, and they're so, um, you know, we're getting so many good athletes. I mean, we gotta, we got to go back and credit Tiger. I think we gotta, we got to credit Freddie a little bit before Tiger. Um, they made golf cool, and, uh, and now, you know, I get kids that show up could be, that could be the high school starting quarterback or the, uh, or the power forward on the basketball team or the, or the point guard on the basketball team. You know, we get, we're getting good athletes where we used to get, and quite frankly, in my generation, we used to get the leftover, you know, the guy who couldn't, couldn't be the starting quarterback and couldn't be the point guard and wouldn't start on this high school basketball team, you know. We've got mediocre. We're getting great athletes now. Um, so these kids come and they've got a lot of speed, a lot of strength, a lot of athletic skill. And, for example, Chris, you go out and you, do a, you, you, know, you take them on the course for a playing lesson and you get to a dull leg par four that, you know, in my generation, you hit it down right center to create an angle to hit the second chart to the green, and they're going to stand up there and hit it right over the corner without even blinking an eye and, and, and you know, and hit a, hit a sand wedge into a green where you were back there with a five or six iron, you know, 25 years ago because they can carry the ball so far. So as a coach, you have to be able to look in different places and, and kind of see the golf course through their eyes. And, and, it, and it does take uh, a switch in gears as a coach to understand that this, the game has changed. It's not the same game that we played 20 years ago or even 10 years ago. We, we have to, we have to get into their into their body and into their mind and see it through their eyes because it is so different now. Yes. So, you know, just to further expand upon that point, Tom, my son, he's 16 years old. He's playing on his high school team this summer. He's playing in several junior junior tournaments. Is is training differently now specifically for juniors than it was 10 or 20 years ago? Are you seeing, you know, athletes train harder, more weights, more, you know, you, you talk about speed, things of that nature. Is it a lot different than it was just not all that long ago? It's very different, Chris. If, if, if you're looking at a kid, uh, how old is your son? 16. Okay, so mine is 16 also. We've never talked about that. That's interesting. And, and he's also got the golf club. My son does too now. So, uh, you know, I, I, and I, I'm, I want to be his father, not his coach. So I put him with another professional as his teacher because I don't want to be his coach. I want to be his dad. Um, but he is also training athletically. He plays a second sport. He plays ice hockey. So he's, you know, at 16, he's a lot physically stronger than I was at 16. So consequently, with the equipment today and the way he's training his body, um, by coincidence, because of ice hockey, the speed he creates and the distance he carries his golf ball is a lot different at 16 than it was for me. But guys who are focusing, young men who are focusing specifically on golf and hoping to play college golf and maybe have a dream, maybe have a dream of going beyond that, um, are training differently, and they should be. And when, when kids come to me and that's their mindset to play college golf, 
uh, in Naples, Florida, especially where my school is during the winter, I have a guy in town who's a um, TPI certified trainer who if kids are really serious about it and they want to do that, they have to get involved with him as well as me because they have, train, they have to train that side of their of their regime as well as the mechanical side of the golf swing side of their regime. So, yeah, the answer is yes. The, the guys that are really serious about playing college golf and trying to develop a golf game and taking it to a higher level, you know, they're working with a coach, you know, a teacher like me, but they're also working with a physical side person and some also with a, a sports psychologist. It's, it's really different. It's, uh, we didn't have those tools when I, was, when I was playing junior golf, that's for sure. So, Tom, you're both a teacher and a coach. Explain what the difference is between those two things. That's 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 a great point because uh, you know I I teach the X's and O's. I, you know I I uh, I teach technique. I teach fundamentals. Uh, I teach the golf swing. But then I also coach people uh, because there's so many kids that come to me that they, when they even when they get to me sometimes they're already accomplished ball strikers or or better than the average ball strikers. But you take them out in the golf course and they can't create a score. Um, and that's that's the coaching aspect. When when a when a when a guy, when a when a, when a lineman comes out of Ohio State and goes to play for Bill Belichick, he knows how to get in a three point stance and, and you know and, and, and fundamentally set up for a football play, but he maybe doesn't know the nuances of the game at a higher level uh, and the tricks of the trade. Uh, there's so many kids that come to me now can hit solid golf shots time and time again, Chris, and produce repetitive ball flight. But you ask a kid in, in today's generation today a flighted or a knockdown wedge or take something off an eight iron or, you know, hit a, hit a trap release wedge uh, that's flighted a little bit, and they look at you like you have three heads. They're not learning how to adopt it. They've lost some of the art form of golf. Um, so the coach comes in and takes them on the golf course and teaches them some of the nuances. The coach also sits down with them um, on the emotional side of the game and the uh, and the preparation side of the game, and how do you prepare for a tournament? How do you know? How do you prepare? How do you analyze a tournament when you come out of a tournament and wasn't your best result? Um, what do you take out of a tournament when it was a great result? What did you do better than last time? So I develop a, a pretty personal relationship with most of my guys and gals that are trying to play at a higher level, and um, some of our work goes on, you know, on the golf course, not on the lesson tee, or even at at a lunch table, sitting down and sharing a meal and discussing. Um, our game plan for the future. And Tom, you know, one of the things that, that I've been talking to my son about is there, there's a difference between going out and playing golf and practicing your golf swing. Talk about the difference, you know, between the two and for juniors or, or anybody really trying to improve their game, Tom, how much they should practice their swing versus playing golf. Well, and, and that's a great point. I mean, two of, uh, two of my favorite players of all time, grew up with the same exact coach and they couldn't be any different from one of the Tom Kite and Ben Crenshaw. Uh, and I had a relationship in the nineties and still have a relationship uh, with both those guys and consider them both friends. Um, and they couldn't be any different. They grew up in the same, same place with the same coach, great coach, Harvey Panic, and, and couldn't be any different. You know, Tom was a, Tom was a, a ball beater on the range you know, over and over and over again. And Ben hated the range and wanted to go out and play holes. Uh, I think in today's world, if you could be half tight and half Crenshaw, you'd be perfect as a learner and as a developer, meaning 
you need repetitions, you need, to, you need to groove your technique, you need to work your technique and develop your technique, but you need to go out and learn how to score and hit shots and recover um, from, from, you know, from trouble shots and trouble areas on a golf course. And you don't learn that, you do not learn that on a range. You don't learn that in a short game area. You learn that in situational golf. You have to play holes to do that. So I like, I like my guys to, to follow the one-third rule, one-third short game time, one-third range time, and one-third golf course time. Um, so I don't, I don't believe that they should spend eight hours a day on a range seven days a week. And I don't believe they should chip and cut for hours on end. Although it's very important. I think they have to do all three things. And the third thing is tee it up, play holes and learn how to score and get the ball in the hall. The other thing you mentioned a moment ago, Tom, was preparing for a tournament. Right. I mean, I think you've got to get your mind, your game's got to be in shape, but you've got to get your mind right as well. Plus, you've got to have some preparation for knowing the golf course, knowing the tournament, and I guess having a goal for what you're out there trying to achieve. Talk about the things that you, that you preach to your junior golfers, or anybody really, what they should do to prepare when they're getting ready to go play a golf tournament. Well, I think the most basic thing, Chris, I think, you know, I think there's I think there's a lot of juniors out there playing these junior tours, whether they're local tours, regional tours, or national tours now. And and I'll, use, I'll just use a local tour, for example. And and Kid A goes and plays a practice round or two on that site and learns the golf course and learns to chart the golf course. And I teach kids how to chart golf courses, how to how to make their own yardage book, how to how to how to you know, scout a green, how to uh, how to prepare themselves so they have notes on the golf course that they can carry with them during the round. Um, and then player B doesn't play a practice round. And I say to player, I say to player B, okay, if A and B are the same exact talent, if they are the same exact talent and they can hit the same exact shots. Okay. How many shot advantage does one have over the other having played one or two practice rounds when the second player has played no practice rounds? How many shots is that worth? Knowing the golf course and preparing to play the golf course. And that's the most basic example. So, you know, kids, the vast majority of kids that play junior golf who are not going anywhere in their golf career for obvious reasons, um, you know, don't play practice rounds, for example. They just they show up the morning of, and the first hole is a dog leg right. They don't know how far the bunker on the right side of the fairway is. They don't know whether they can carry it or not. They don't know there's there's over the hill, there's a, there's a brook over the hill that they can reach, that they can hit it in, or, or there's water to the right or behind the green that's hidden. So, I mean, you know, on the PGA Tour... The guys get into town on Sunday night and they play Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday before they tee off on Thursday, and they've got a lot of homework done before they tee it up. I obviously use the tour as an example um, to my young players. How do you prepare for a tournament? You know, are you working Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday on some specific on the range, getting your golf swing finely tuned? Is your short game ready? How's your feel? Have you adjusted to the speed of those greens on that current week? And have you played practice rounds and do you have the course charted? So, it depends on how serious you are as a junior and where you're trying to go. Um, and I make sure I, I try to overturn every stone for these kids in the learning process. So by the time they get to be 17 or 18, they're ready for the next step, which is college golf. Hopefully. Tom, let's switch gears again. Want to get your thoughts on uh, a couple of things around the tour. I want to get your thoughts, first of all, on Tiger Woods. We've certainly seen him at a low point in his life right now. You know, the injuries, the DUI arrest, damage to his car when he was arrested. We haven't heard what the details about that are yet. Is, is it time for the sport just to move on 
without Tiger Woods. You know, the media stopped talking about him. And if he ever gets competitive again and gets back into the game, well, God bless him, and we can start talking about him again. But uh, is it time for us to sort of move on and, and uh, focus the attention on some of the younger players that are out there now and forget a little bit about Tiger Woods for right now? Chris, let me work, let me work backwards into that answer. First of all, you know, I've, I'm not a huge Tiger fan, and I have my own personal reasons for that, but uh, as a human being, I feel I feel terrible for him. Um, I think that uh, watching anybody go through what he's going through right now and how he's gone through in the last two years, if you have a heart at all, you have to have some compassion for that. And and I only wish him the best and hope if it's if there is an addiction problem of some kind, if that's true, that he sorts that out. He can get on with his life. Let's face it, you know, you're a father, I'm a father. He has children. And far more important than whether he plays the tour again or wins a tournament again or hits a golf shot again is that he has a relationship with his children and, and, he, can, and he can be a father to them. Um, so that's the first thing. Um, I wrote an article two years ago uh, in my column in the Naples Daily News, and two years ago I said Tiger was done. I think the injury to his body, I think the, the, the multiple injuries to his body uh, I think the wear and tear on his body, I think the public humiliation that he went through and, and so forth and so on, I, I, I don't think he's the same person we knew when he was competing at the pinnacle of his career. So I, I felt that he was done for a long time. Um, you know, he was he was groomed like a racehorse is groomed to do one thing and one thing only, win golf tournaments and compete. And, and, and in one respect, that's really all he knows. Um, he doesn't know anything else but competing. So it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a racehorse coming up lame. He, he, in his heart, he still wants to run, you know, um, but he's not capable. So I think at some point he has to look in the mirror and say, you know, it's time to move on. I, I've, I'm financially set for the rest of my life. That's not even an issue. I have two beautiful children. Um, there's, there's a lot of things I can do in and around the game of golf to uh, to make more of a living if I wanted to, although it's unnecessary, but I could certainly give back and maybe make you know create opportunities for other people in the game at different at different junctures in their life and different levels. So I don't think you'll ever see Tiger Woods play anywhere near what we think Tiger Woods golf is. Um, and to see him go out there and barely make cuts or struggle. Is, would be like watching Secretariat run with a broken leg. Um, it, it just I don't want to watch that. I, it's just too painful, whether you're a fan or not, to watch that happen to him. So, Tom, let's go over uh, to the LPGA. And when you look at the current world rankings, Lexi Thompson is the only American in, in the top ten. World number one is Ari Jutanagarn from, from Thailand. you got five of the top ten players are from South Korea. Another one is from China. Why do you think – why are the, the Asian ladies dominating the LPGA Tour? You're going you're to get me in a lot of trouble now, Chris, but I've been in trouble before, so I'll, I'll, I'll handle this question the best I can. Uh, it's really, really simple to me. The American female, who is very talented, it's not a talent issue at all. I don't, I don't think it is. Um, I, I was fortunate to coach out there for a good part of my life and had several girls win out there. I think it's really simple. I think the American girl is flat getting outworked. Um, I, think they've, uh, I think they're lazy in comparison. Uh, I said it in comparison to the, uh, to the Asian mindset. I think um, they're simply getting outworked 
morning, noon, and night, and they're, they're, they're just running circles around our girls. And until the core group of our young American talent stands up and says, you know what, I've had enough of this. I've gotten punched in the face a couple of times. I'm going to start punching back. They're going to continue to not be able to play and compete at the same level as certainly the South Koreans are right now. And now we have, we have you know, the Thais and the Chinese and the, and the Japanese. They're, just, they're simply being outworked. They're simply being outworked. I mean, it's, it's not even close. Tom, just a couple more before we let you go. And we talk an awful lot about, you know, on this show about the mental side of the games. And one of the things that you address in your book is advice on how to, you know, quiet our minds when we get out on the golf course. Can you give us some tips about how we can do that? How do we go out there and relax ourselves so that we're able to play more freely? You know, I I think we've become such a uh, a mechanical-based society when it comes to golf. That we're so involved with our backswing and with our our grip and our stance and our and, and are we lagging the club? Do we rotate and clear enough? You know, are we getting loaded? Do we release the club properly? That the the average player is going through the first tee still involved in their mechanics. And there's only one thing you need to be involved with on the first tee, uh, and, and it it puts, gets rid of all the clutter. One thing is the target and scoring. Okay, so. I've played a lot of good rounds of golf uh, for me at my level, um, not hitting the ball very well because I, I had to focus on one thing, getting the ball in the hole and being target-oriented. Um, I think, that, I think you know, with the advent of the golf channel and, and magazines, and I write for those magazines, so I'm guilty too of putting in some of those things in people's heads. Um, you've got to get a separation, like we said earlier, between golf and golf swing, playing golf and playing golf swing. You play golf swing on the range, you develop the, the core movement the best you possibly can, and you go to the first tee, and all it is is where's the target, and let's go there. Um, the clutter of mechanical um, cues, the overwhelming number of mechanical cues on the first tee will get you only one place into a very high number in the last box on the card. Um, You've got to get clear that you're there to do one thing. Aim it, fire it, go find it, and, and, and aim it, fire it, and go find it again. Period. End of story. Um, we have so many avenues now with social media and, and, and radio and television and great blogs like this one right here um, for information access. We're, we're, in, we're in information overload, and it's, it's not helping. It's only hurting. So, Tom, for all of us who need help with our games, talk about your three schools, where they're located, and uh, all the different things that you offer to, uh, to your students. Appreciate too kind. Uh, during the summer months right now, I'm in both Have the Grace, Maryland, at a wonderful place called Bully Rock, and it really is wonderful. Uh, and I'm at Colonial Springs on Long Island. I split my time basically between those two places during the summer. And then my base during the winter is my home, which is Naples, Florida. I'm at the Esplanade in Naples, Florida. And then the fourth way people get to me if they want instruction is I have an online V1 video academy where people can basically subscribe and, and do video online lessons. All the information for all those places is available at my website, which is simply tompatry.com. Um, so there's a lot of different ways to get to me uh, in a lot of different venues and, and medians. Um, and uh, I, I appreciate you even mentioning that. Thank you. 
Absolutely. So, Tom, for our, for our listeners, remind them how they can follow you over social media as well. Well, you, Tom Patrick's on Facebook, Tom Patrick's on Twitter, Tom Patrick's on Instagram, Tom Patrick's on LinkedIn, and Tom Patrick's website is simply TomPatrick.com. Um, and Tom Patrick also accepts texts and questions from people at 239-404-7790. So I, I try to give people full access and get to me in a number of different ways. Um, it, it, I, just, I enjoy speaking golf to people. So it's, it's, uh, it's pretty open form. That's always great, Tom. You know, Tom, it's, it's it's always you know a joy for me to get to spend some time with you. A privilege to get part of your time and you know to share your insights and your thoughts and your lessons and those sorts of things with our audience. I can't thank you enough for continuing to come back and be a part of the show. You're fantastic, my friend. Chris, well, let me tell you something. I think it's the other way around. I want to thank you for giving me an opportunity to uh, to talk off. I think that what you do on the airwaves especially for our armed forces, which uh, we we should never fail to mention over and over again. I hope they're listening in. I hope they're enjoying the show, and I hope they're safe. Um, But I appreciate you having me on. And you promised me you promised me we were going to meet soon in person. We haven't done that yet. I'm going to hold you to that, pal. So you got to find me and track me down. (laughs) I'm going to try to do that. Trust me. I could use a a little Tom Patchy love on my golf swing and stuff like that. So if I can can find you, I'm going to do it. Oh, good, Chris. I appreciate that. Listen, I'll be on any time you'll have me, and uh, and your listeners are very lucky to have you on the airwaves. And uh, and I've followed you on social media and all the other things you're into on the other on the other sports venues and sports mediums as well. And you just do a great job, and I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate you saying that. Thank you, Tom. Look forward to catching up with you again real soon, my friend. In between now and then, all the best to you and your family. Thank you, sir. You as well. All right. Thank you, Tom. That's Tom Patry, and again, you know, check him out online, TomPatry.com, and his last name is spelled P-A-T-R-I. So TomPatry.com, you can find him on, you know, like you said, on all over social media. Check him out. And those V1 golf lessons, folks, are a thing to check out. You can videotape your swing, send them to Tom, and get an analysis right from him back. So it's a great way, if you can't be with him in person, that you can be with him virtually. So check him out. Again, TomPatry.com, all over the Internet and over social media as well. Look forward to catching up again with Tom real soon.